You are listening to Love Me Dead, a parasitic romance horror, written and read by J.M. Santos. is a love story. A really fucked up one. I know what you're thinking. All love stories are fucked up. What can make this one any different? Maybe instead of a love triangle, it's a square or a pentagram. Or maybe it's just another billionaire playboy who has a secret sex dungeon in his basement where his lovers insert random-sized objects in not-so-random places. Well, friend, you would be wrong. This love story is not that kind of fucked up. It's horrifying. While it does share some cliched characteristics as other classic romances, this story will not leave you feeling all warm and fuzzy inside. You will, however, see a lot of exposed warm insides. It will chew up all that you thought you knew about love and spit it out, along with some hair and pieces of bone. My name is Jason, and I'm in love with a monster. This is my love story. I'll try my best to share with you what it's like when you let that monster slither its way inside of you, literally. I haven't always been with Ava. In fact, up until a few months ago, I was just a pretty normal guy with a pretty normal job and a not-so-pretty ex-girlfriend. Don't get me wrong, Julia's not ugly at all. She's beautiful, actually. Drop-dead gorgeous, even. I'm talking way out of my league, hot. It's her soul that is ugly. Deep down, every fiber of her being is hideous. Every strand of DNA tainted with venom. She's a master manipulator, a grand puppeteer with perfectly manicured nails, pulling the strings of her many marionettes. I know it sounds like I'm coming off a little strong, but just wait. We haven't come to that part of the story yet. She deserves it. You'll see. It was a horrible breakup. The kind that leaves you wallowing in your own filth while you binge-watch 90 sitcoms on Netflix. The only light at the end of the tunnel is the one in your freezer as you're grabbing another pint of Ben and Jerry's. Severe depression was really starting to kick in, and I probably would have decomposed on that couch if my roommate Ryan hadn't done what he does best. Bitch. Get up, shithead. If I have to listen to one more episode of Full House while you weep yourself to sleep, I'm gonna throw up. Ryan crinkled his nose and looked down at me with a snarled lip. And that stench isn't helping. God, it stinks like Old Spice and Doritos. Come on, man. It's not that bad. It's just Julie. Ah, shut the fuck up about Julie already. Julie's a slut bag. Worse, she's a slut bag with ambition. So what if she cheated on you with a prominent up-and-coming surgeon who moonlights as an oil painter and an award-winning vinter? You still got some good things going for you. Fuck off, Ryan. Ryan Robert Richardson is my roommate. Confidant and total pain in my ass. Cigarette filters do a better job of filtering out the toxins that go in your mouth than the filter that stops the shit coming out of his. Nah, really, man. Like, you've got... You're, like, average height? Whatever, man. Fuck it. The one thing you are is a man. No self-respecting man would behave this way. You've never seen me this messed up about a girl. I have never seen you around a girl. That's bullshit, man. I'm with Lisa all the time. 
Lisa's your lab partner at the diagnostic company you work for. Yeah, and? She's a chick, right? Listen, this isn't about me, okay? This is about you getting your smelly ass off the couch so we can fumigate this living room. Now get up and go be a fucking man. What does that even mean? I don't know, Jason. Go lift some weights or something. Go for a run. Aren't those things supposed to help you clear your head? A run? I never ran. I've always been pretty athletic, but running for the sole purpose of getting from point A to point B never did it for me. I ran because I was chasing something, or something was chasing me. Yeah, try the trails down at Eagle Park. I used to smoke them up as a kid. People were constantly running up and down. Pretty scenic in a woodsy kind of way. Ryan was already up and lifting me off the couch. As he was pushing me to the front door, I looked over my shoulder and said, Isn't Eagle Park the heroin capital of the city? You'll be fine, Ryan snorted. But it's getting dark, I insisted. Run fast, he quipped. And with that, I found myself standing in the hallway with the door slamming shut behind me. I spun around and knocked three times on the door. I don't have my keys! The door swung open and a set of car keys came spiraling towards my face. Instinctively, I caught them, inches from my nose. I took one deep sigh as I contemplated just sitting outside the door like a little lost puppy. But deep down, some of Ryan's words rang true in a demented sort of way. So I summoned up all the willpower I had and shuffled down the hallway to the elevators. A short drive later, and I was looking up at the wrought iron gates of Eagle Park. Two majestic eagles with wings spread out on full display sat on top of each gate opposite from each other. It was dusk, but the gates were still open. I wasn't sure if they closed at night, so I was hesitant to drive in. There weren't any signs with hours posted, so I shrugged my shoulders and pulled in. What's the worst that could happen? I drove down the winding road, surrounded by trees, until it opened up into an expansive parking lot. On the left was the Eagle Park Zoo, and directly in front was a decent-sized playground equipped with all the classic favorites. The sun was just about setting, and the lights around the park began to hum and slowly come to life. It was a humid summer night, and the air clung to me like a wet blanket. There wasn't even a wisp of a breeze. The swing sets, which usually spark a sweet, nostalgic feeling, hung there completely straight down and motionless. Now, you would think one of them swinging slowly as it creaked back and forth would be really spooky, but by the way they just hung there, frozen in time, bathed in lamplight, sent a shiver down my spine. Shaking off the creeps, I looked to my left at the entrance of the trails. There were three small wooden signs that indicated a different hiking path. That was it, just a dirt path leading into a dark, empty maw of wilderness. This was a really stupid idea, I thought to myself. It's dark, I'm alone, and I'm not even dressed to run. I had never even been on any of these trails before. I didn't know how long they were or where they went, so I just made up my mind to go home, and I turned around to go back to the car. Don't be a pussy. It was Robbie Dick. His bro-shaming had wormed its way under my skin and dug its claws into my psyche. I can't go home now and tell him I chickened out. Not after all the time I spent crying on the couch listening to Death Cab for Cutie Radio. I can do this. Quick run, 15 minutes. Get in there, sweat a little bit, and forget about Julie. I started running. My legs were stiff, and my back was tight from all the non-activity I'd been doing lately. But after a few minutes, things began to stretch out. I kept pumping my arms and churning my legs. My gaze locked on the stony path before me. 
It was full dark now, but the brilliant white moon above me illuminated the trail. I guess it's true what they say about the runner's trance, because after about ten minutes, I was submerged in the rhythm of my running. For the first time in weeks, my mind was clear. All that mattered was the sound of my footfalls on the packed dirt. I was so deep in zen, it's a wonder I heard the muffled whimpers at all. But when they became soft cries of pain, it brought me to a screeching halt. I just froze there, in the middle of the trail, as still as a statue. My spider sense was tingling as the hair on the back of my neck stood on edge. Silence became a tangible thing as it drifted past my face and settled on my skin. I was so quiet I could hear my heart beating in my chest. Anxiety now throwing it into overtime. I was trying to convince myself that I had imagined the sound. I stood there for what felt like an eternity. Try as I might, I couldn't hear anything over the blood circulating between my ears. Arthur C. Clarke had once said, Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. At that very moment, in my particular juncture of time and space, I was its sole inhabitant. Or so I prayed. A long, deep moan from somewhere in the darkness shattered my illusion of isolation. I tried to identify the sound. Could it be a deer? Can hunters shoot deer in public parks? Please... Oh shit, the deer can talk. It's the first of its kind and somebody shot it and felt so terrible to kill such a magnificent creature they abandoned it to die. Please, help. Fuck, it's a human. A human being that could be very hurt or in a lot of trouble. Now it makes it my moral obligation to help or at very least make contact. I let out a deep breath and began pushing my way through the undergrowth in the direction of the pleading. After a few moments of bushwhacking, I stumbled upon a smaller, less-used trail. A small ball of yellow-green light was glowing off in the distance. It was muffled, as if it was being swallowed by something. Mesmerized like a moth to a flame, I walked towards the orb. The path opened up into a small campsite. There was a barrel for a makeshift fire pit and some random objects for seating and circling it. A tire, a bucket, and a stool to name a few. The light was radiating from inside a small green tent, along with the gasping moans. Should I really be doing this? I thought to myself. There are properly trained people for this. I shouldn't be doing this. Hey, buddy. I don't know if you need help in there, but I can call someone if you need it, I said while pulling my cell phone out of my pocket. I walked up to the door of the tent and hesitantly reached out for the flap. I hope you're not naked or anything. A gray, shriveled hand fell out of the tent and fumbled weakly at my ankle. I shrieked the way only a twelve-year-old girl could. Stumbling backwards, I stepped into the bucket, which turned out not to be a seat, but a toilet. I lost my balance and fell sprawling to the ground. Looking up from my back, I saw the arm still protruding from the tent, laying eerily still. I kicked the shit can off my foot and searched either side for something to wield. I found a stick. Holding it in front of me like an Olympic fencer, I approached the tent again, painfully slow. When I reached the outstretched arm, and I'm not proud of saying this, I poked the hand with my stick. It didn't move. Taking a deep breath to steal myself, I flung open the flap of the tent. There inside were some blankets, a dozen or so canned vegetables, and the mummified corpse of a Game of Thrones fan. I know this only because his black t-shirt had Valar Margulis written across the front in cursive tan lettering.
The guy looked like he had to be 150 years old, even though his clothing suggested he was anywhere between 20 or 30. He had long, shock-white, spindly hair, and the gray skin on his face had become so taut it exposed his teeth and gums in a ghoulish smile. My first thought was that he must have overdosed on something, but the quick look I took around his body didn't reveal any drugs or needles. His lifeless eyes were so haunting, it pulled me in like a magnet. As I bent over to get a closer look, I heard a rustling noise from the back of the tent. I shot up like a rocket. Before I could identify the noise, something shot past my leg, crawled up my back, and bit me at the base of my neck. Immediately, I swatted at it frantically, trying to get it off my back. Fireworks blew up in my head. I blinked as fast as I could, but all I could see were bright green and blue supernovas exploding behind my eyelids. A numbness seeped from the back of my neck and down my shoulders and chest. I couldn't feel anything after the pain of the initial bite. I was swirling dazedly in a galaxy of colors, emotionless and serene. A pinprick of black in the distance grew larger and larger, until it was so big it had sucked all of the colors into it, leaving me alone in the void. Everything turned to black as I fell on my face. The next yellow light I saw was the glowing lantern inside the tent. Shaking myself awake, it took me a few seconds longer to notice the young, half-naked woman that it should have. My heart almost jumped out of my chest. I sprung up to a seated position and almost climbed over the dead body. This wasn't possible. There was no way she could have been in the tent when I came in, right? I would have seen her. How long was I out for? The storm of questions bombarding my mind faded into a gentle breeze when my eyes finally locked on her. If my heart had exploded from the scare, I couldn't tell. She was breathtakingly beautiful. She was sitting at the back of the tent with her arms around her knees, covering what had to be the most perfectly shaped breasts I had ever seen. Her long hair covered half her face and was a mix of sandy browns and platinum blondes. One piercing blue eye burned a hole through me like a laser. Pearly white teeth beamed at me from behind an inviting, half-open mouth. I have no words to describe her lips, other than magnetizing. Simultaneously, she looked as vulnerable as a doe and as dangerous as a coiled python. Everything about her screamed danger, but even then, I knew I would do anything for her. Do I know you? She looks so familiar. I don't know how. You would think I would remember seeing the most beautiful woman in the world before. No. The one-word response came out as a purr. It floated from her mouth and stuck in my heart like a knife. My guard continued to fall. Looking over my shoulder, I asked, Are you with him? I was. Her blue eye remained transfixed on me. It didn't even flicker to the corpse. Do you need help? Can I help you? With that, she pounced at me with the speed and grace of a jungle cat. Before I could even blink, she was standing straight up and holding both my wrists in her hands. They were cold and sweaty. No, more like slimy. The thought poofed away like smoke when my eyes landed on her naked chest. Every thought vanished. Her voice broke my hypnosis. Do you really mean that? Will you feed me? Will you let me in? Her voice was like warm honey melting in my ears. Some brain function returned and I thought, what a weird thing to say. Feed me? Her body looked pretty well fed to me. She was statuesque. Let her in where? I didn't ponder on the strangeness of her questions for long at all. 
I just nodded my head slowly and said, Sure. She leaned in closer, tightening her grip on my wrist. Her forehead and nose caressed my face ever so gently. She smelled like my grandmother's cookies. Our eyes were locked like a cobra and a snake charmer when she came in for a kiss. First, a nibble on my lip, and then a wet tongue probing my defenses, looking for a way in. When it touched mine, it was like our mouths instantly became vacuum sealed together. I had never been kissed so deeply before. A sense of euphoria lifted me off the ground, while her tongue did circles and twists I never thought possible. That's because it wasn't possible. Her tongue was getting larger, filling up my mouth more and more. It became thick and coated in a clear lubricant-like fluid. My mouth grew wider to accommodate her. So wide, in fact, that my jaw felt like it was about to dislocate. Her whole mouth was over mine now, and her tongue tickled the back of my throat, triggering my gag reflex. There was nowhere for the air to go, and I just expelled more clear slime out of the tiny openings around the seal of our kiss. My eyes bulged, and I tried to look at her as pleadingly as I could, but she just stared back at me like a tiger, devouring a gazelle. This is the part that gets really fucked up. While I was struggling to grasp her air, it felt like someone was pulling a needle or a stinger out of the bite on the back of my neck. As it was being pulled out, my dream girl began shimmering in and out of reality. One second she was there, and the next she was replaced with a pulsating octopus-like head. The needle was removed entirely and she disappeared. In her place, I held a creature of terror, the likes I had never seen before. Or should I say, it held me. Two oily tentacles were coiled around my wrists, pinning my arms down. Another pair was wrapped around my head, while two others were working their way into my gaping mouth. It was slithering its way down my throat. Already halfway down, it released its grasp on my wrists. Instinctively, I grabbed it by the head and tried to extract it from my esophagus. I fell to my knees and flailed my body violently. There was no fucking way I was going to let this monster just crawl its way inside me without a fight. My hands could find no purchase on its body. It was like it could move from a solid to a liquid at will, and whenever I tried to grab another handful, it would slip between my fingers. The head collapsed and slid down my throat like a lumpy milkshake. Only one tentacle thrashed around wildly outside of my mouth like an unmanned fire hose. I slurped it up like a ramen noodle and passed out for the second time that night. What you see is what you are. Thank you for listening to this episode. See you on the next one. Soundtrack by Wolf Simmons. Recorded at the Cedar Room Studio. If you like what you hear, be sure to check him out on the music streaming platform of your choice. This podcast is protected by a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives, 4.0, International License. Which means you can't sell it or change it, but you can copy and share it all you like. Please share it with a friend, and don't forget those five-star reviews. Well, that's all I got.
Peace and love me dead.